Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Podcast. We are in season three and reflecting on the topic, what Jesus wants most from his church. Each week we'll be looking at the passages in the letter to the Ephesians to see how God answered Jesus's priestly prayers found in John 17. So enjoy this time in hearing the preaching of God's word and may you be encouraged in the great hope you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's Daylight Savings Time, and this is one of our most highly attended Sunday school uh, days for some reason. <laughs> um, does anyone have a dollar, like a dollar bill, not uh, like a five, you got, can you pull it out? I need a, a one dollar bill. If you can find a dollar bill. Not a five dollar, twenty dollar, oh, Chuck's got one. What, could you describe the back of it? What's in the back of that dollar bill? United States of America, guy we, we trust. What else? Oh, yeah. This Latin phrase, e pluribus unum. I thought maybe I'd name the, the speech that or something like that. E pluribus unum, the, that's, what, that's what it right there for those who couldn't see his dollar bill. Um, this saying is Latin for out of many, one. Out of many, one. In 1776, Benjamin Franklin Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, in committee said, hey, this should be our national motto. You count those letters, there's 13 letters. There's 13 colonies. This is to, to, to describe our nation's identity. According to the Census Bureau, there's 328 million people in the United States of America, half male, half female. 58%, they say, are white. About 19% are Hispanic and Latino. Uh, 13% are African-American, and then there's 10% of other races. America is the melting pot. People from all types of walks of life, perspectives, ages, and religious backgrounds come together to make our nation what it is today. How do we hold this union together? How does it stay together? How do we live up to this national motto? On April 12th, 1861, less than 100 years after the adoption of this motto, our nation was torn asunder by civil war. The United States barely survived. Today, our country is divided again, don't you think? In different ways, not by one single issue, not by uh, one single geographic boundary or moral problem. We have, we're at odds with those who sit next to us, our neighbors, our family and co-workers and classmates with a host of different issues. How do we as a church, in this context, unite in this age of memes, pejorative rants, and rampant incendiary social media posts? I was thinking about this. They pit one position as obviously true, obviously right, and the other is diabolically evil, insane, or brain dead. Now, there are th- some things we need to fight for that are true, absolutely. But most hot-button issues are not these. We're not going to agree on 100% of the things 100% of the time, right? And if issues are important, how do we communicate them in a loving way? How can we stay united as a Christian church in a day where we can endlessly search for whatever 
community, virtual community that floats our boat and fits our current tastes and tickles our modern sensitivities. Church, Jesus knew the challenges we would face. He knew these days would come. In fact, he prayed for us, for, for Converge, for you and me, on this very issue. He prayed to God the Father that he, God would protect them, that he would purify them, that he would unite them and bring them to him 2,000 years ago in the prayer that we've been studying the last few weeks and we'll continue to study. If you have your Bibles, you can open to John chapter 17. We'll have the words projected here. Last week I didn't project as many words as I should, uh, and uh, some people said that, was, that wasn't really helpful. So I'm going to try to project a lot of them because sometimes I move around quite a bit. I get really excited. Uh, John chapter 17, we're going to be reading verse 20 through 23, just a few verses, and really zeroing in on this, and then tying it into a letter to a church that is in modern-day Turkey, Ephesus, tying it into some, some scriptures in Ephesians, which we've been doing. John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus prayed, I don't ask these only for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. I need you. Help us to understand your word, to understand you. Your words are life and light. May they guide us and direct us. May they encourage us. May they comfort us. May they challenge us and equip us. We need your help to make sense of this book in Jesus' great name. Amen. Jesus, in this prayer, he is about to be betrayed by Judas, a turncoat for 30 pieces of silver. He, he, tur he, he turns over information, critical information, where Jesus is. He's going to lead him to him. And Jesus is going to be arrested, mocked, beat, and killed. And Jesus is, is looking at this, and he sees danger is coming. He knows this is happening. And so he prays to the Father. He prays to the Father that the Father would, would protect his people, his followers. The, the Father would purify his people. The Father would unite his people. The Father would eventually bring his people to him in heaven and see his glory. Last week, Pastor Mike, uh, as he's teaching on this, was preaching on this, shared with this, uh, this prayer, and he summarized it for me. He told me, I asked him, what, summarize in a sentence what you said. And this is what he said. Speaking truth in love is required in maintaining oneness in the church. Speaking truth in love is required in maintaining oneness in the church. I think that's right. Um, we were studying this and praying through this scripture in our Sunday school hour before this, and one of the themes that came out is that oneness, and the other is love. Oneness and love. If we want to be united in a divided age, we need to speak the truth in love. Jesus cared about what we say. He cares about what we believe. He cares about love. He cares about your unity as a church. He cares about harmony in the body. This morning, we're going to look at uh, verses 20 through 22, exploring what he meant by oneness and connecting it to Ephesians. We're going to see this. Here, here's a statement to write down if you're taking notes. A unity in the diversity of the Trinity models our unity as a church. Let me say that again. Unity in the diversity of the Trinity 
models our unity as a church. You see, in John chapter 17 and Ephesians, Jesus' unity with God and the differences mirrors unity and differences that we have as a community of faith. Let me show you what I mean. John chapter 17, verse 20, is a prayer, or 17 in general, is a prayer for who? A prayer about who? Us, right? It's about his disciples then, and, and, it's, and he's praying for himself. But look at verse 20. What does it say? I don't ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Jesus prayed about those who would believe in him, in, in, in him through the disciples, his disciples. They're going to pass on his teaching. They're going to go to the next guy and tell him, hey, you got to hear about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. And they're telling people about Jesus, and people are coming to faith. And so a guy named Augustine comes to faith. And Martin Luther and Wycliffe and Tyndale and, and Moody. Maybe you've heard of the Moody School. That was, there was a guy named Moody who came to faith. And it's not just guys. Uh, Florence Nightingale, Franny Crosby, Amy Carmichael, Corey Tenboom, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Clara Barton, and Rosa Parks all came to faith. In fact, there was someone who led maybe you to faith, right? If you're a person of faith. And me to faith. Our ancestors are being prayed for in this prayer. In fact, we are being prayed for, and that is amazing. Jesus knew the future, and he prayed for you. Let that sink in. What does he pray? Let's keep reading. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one. He prays for oneness. He wants the church to be one. Why? Because we need it. Why? We're better together than apart. We're better than lone rangers. Pastor Mike, I was listening to one of his messages uh, recently here, so you heard of this if you were there. He talked about National Geographic, and I just think this is great. In National Geographic, when they're doing a, a, a documentary on lions out in the, the Sahara, those lions, when they're, when they're hunting, they're looking for that zebra that's kind of out of the pack. Or that gazelle that is, is weak and, and, and not quite keeping up. And they'll isolate them from the herd. Because that herd is better together than they are apart. And the, and the same is true for us. The same is true for us. There's a temptation, you know, when things don't go our way, when we get upset at the church, when there's conflict, just to step away, take a break. And maybe that break gets longer and longer and longer. I mean, there's times to go on vacation. There's times to work on projects. There's times to, you know, to recoup. But I think too often people fade away and to their own peril, their own danger. They flounder. God seems far. And Jesus wants the Father. He's praying that the Father would keep them from what? From the evil one. Because he's out there like a roaring lion looking for the, the, the straying sheep. He's looking for someone to devour. The danger's not that far off. Jesus sees danger for himself. The, you know, his trial is, right, is right, uh, right around the bend, a few hours from that time. And there's danger for his followers and there's danger for us. He wants the Father to purify the church because the church is impure, you know, there's, there's sin in us, and he wants the Father to purify, to sanctify, to make them holy. He wants the church to look like him, to have his likeness. 
And he prays that the Father would unite the church to make it one because we're stronger together than we are apart. What does this oneness mean? What does oneness mean in a season of division? Well, let's keep reading. John chapter 17, verse 20, and let's keep reading. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Jesus prayed they would be one as he and the Father are in each other. What does that mean? I think it relates to the next verse. Jesus prays this. Look at the next verse. That they may be one even as we are one. Jesus being in the Father and the Father being in the Son relates to oneness. How are they one with each other? What was he getting at? So what I did, you could do this. I went through the Gospel of John, this book of John. We're in chapter 17. I went through all of it from beginning to end. And then I went through Ephesians. And I asked myself, how are Jesus and the Father one? And we see, I think, three things here. They are one in essence. They are one in likeness. And they're one in assignment, in some assignments. How so? They're one in essence. I say that because we learn they existed, they both existed before time. 1 verse 1. They both describe themselves as I am. That, is, that signifies the Yahweh or the, the great I am. Jesus flat out says he is equal with God. He is one with God. And this is so upsetting to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, because why? Because he's saying he's one in essence. He's blaspheming God. There is only one God. You're not it, Jesus. And so what do they do? They want to silence him. They want to shut him up. They don't want to hear this message. This can't be true. And so they kill him. They're one in essence. They're not only one in essence, but they're also one in their, some of their assignments. They have some of the same work. The Bible says that they both create, in, in John chapter 1, verse uh, 3, I, I want to say, it's, it, it, the Word created the world. And we know that God the Father created. They both judge. They both will judge. They both give life. They both raise the dead. They have this, some of the same assignments, the same work. And not only that, we see they mirror each other. They have, the same, they have the same likeness. Whoever honors the Father, Jesus says, honors him. Whoever, whoever uh, hears his teaching is hearing the Father's teaching. Whoever believes in him believes in the Father. Whoever sees him sees the Father. They have a likeness with each other. Thus, when Jesus talks about oneness between him and the Father, he's talking about essence, he's talking about some assignments, and he's talking about this likeness. In Ephesians, if we go to Ephesians and we, we scan through Ephesians, you see some things. In the beginning and in the end, it says that in, 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 the, in, in the Father and in the Son, we have a blessing. We have the blessing of grace, peace, and love. In the Father and in the Son. Uh, in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 5, it describes the kingdom of heaven as the kingdom of God and, and of Christ. They jointly lay claim on this property called heaven, this eternal kingdom, this heavenly kingdom. It is theirs together. They possess it. So how are they one? They're one in essence. They're one in likeness. They're one in some assignments. Now, does that mean that the Father and the Son are just different names for the same thing? Is this a matter of semantics? 
Is there no distinction? Is there oneness kind of like my kid's oatmeal or water? Is there no distinction? No personality, individuality, or separation between them? And if that's so, if that's what he means by one, what does that mean for us as a church? Jesus wants us to be one like him. That would mean that we should dissolve all diversity and desire the disappearance of preferences, creativity, and particularity. I don't think this is what it's getting at. I don't think that's who our God is. Why do I say that? Because John and Ephesians demonstrate that Jesus and the Father, yes, are one, but simultaneously separate. It's a paradox and mystery that we can explore. Reading our Bibles, we see a unity in the diversity of the Trinity. Back to that original kind of big idea. There's a unity in the diversity of our Trinity and has impact on what we see as our community. And this is different than blanket conformity, that we all have to be the same. The implication for the church is that oneness allows us, gives us permission to value each other's differences. And while we pursue a common mission, we're one church made up of different parts as there is one God and one Lord. We see a diversity in Ephesians and John. In John, there's a father and there's a son, right? They're different. We see the father sends a son. The father teaches the son. The son teaches what he has, and he teaches the disciples. They're different. The, the son dies on the cross and rises from the dead, not the father. Obviously, they're not one in the same time and space. They have separate roles, work, and geography while maintaining their unity. So there's a unity in their um, diversity. I went through Ephesians. Again, I'm like, okay, so how are they distinct? We know they're one, but how are they distinct? We read again, they have different roles and work and geography too. It's through Jesus' blood that we have redemption, not the Father's. It's through Jesus' blood that we're brought near to the Father. Chapter 2, verse 13. In chapter 1, verse 22, Paul wrote this, that the, God the Father, quote this, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him as the head over all things to the church. And so you see this hierarchy. Hierarchy is not a bad thing. And it's not flip-flopped. It's not the church over Jesus and Jesus over the Father, the Father over the Son and Son over the, over the church. It says that the church is the household of God with Jesus as the cornerstone. Not the Father as the cornerstone. The church is the body of Jesus, not the Father, Father's body. Jesus is the head of the church, not the, not the Father. Therefore, we see in Ephesians, like John, that the Father and the Son are distinct. There's a unity and there's a diversity in role, work, and geography. And they're one simultaneously. So there's a unity in this diversity, and that has an implication for us when we talk about what does oneness look like at Converged Community Church? All that said, Ephesians 4, 4, you see this unity and diversity here. There's one body, one spirit, just as we were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. This is like an early creed, an early statement of faith, of what we believe. And you see the oneness, but also there's some, some separateness. One spirit, one Lord, one God. I don't think we totally get this. It seems pretty easy, right? But it actually, it's actually, I don't think, as easy as it, 
it looks. I, I think we don't get this because I don't think we live like it. I think we, if, if we're supposed to be operating how we view God, how we interact with each other, I think we interact with each other more like that oatmeal. Where we demand people to ha- see things our way. We insist our own way and do violence against diversity. We make fun of people, we call names, and we get upset when people don't see it our way. And, I, and I'm, saying, I'm saying that because I think I see this in myself, specifically when it comes to my will. I want my will. And when someone brings another perspective in and I'm not ready for that, all of a sudden I get angry. But I'm not talking about issues where we need to like die on like critical um, truth, you know, essential truths of like Trinity and the, our, our view of salvation. I'm talking about like um, which college is better. You know, we're, we're looking at our kids going to college, which college is better? And I get, I'm getting all hang up, hung up on how we describe certain colleges because I think I know which one's better. I mean, this is an essential part of my theology. This is just an issue. This is just a perspective and an opinion. We are to be one as Jesus is one with the Father. That means for us we need to value each other's gifts and talents and roles and and interests and the different parts we play. This is an in-house conversation for us to, to be unified, to be united. So, if, for example, you might say, you know what, Pastor Mike, he just does an awesome job in, in preaching, and I just really like his preaching. That's okay. But then to divide the church, because, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't like it when Rom's preaching, preaching you know. Uh, that's not okay. Um, maybe you like, you know, we sang that, you know, that hymn. Oh, that's my thing. Well, I really like hymns, but courses I could just do without. I want to go to the church with just hymns. That's not a reason to divide over. And people do that. You might not like a personality, but that's not something to divide over. You might, you know, in a church, we're full of imperfect people. Maybe someone bothers you, you know? I encourage us to, let's talk about it. And not just just leave. Let's try to work through it instead of throwing the towel. Unity is important. It's so important. Jesus sees this as so important that he prays for us about it. Let's keep reading and see why he prays about this. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me, that through their word they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us. In us. What does that mean? He wanted them to be united, that they would be in him, in the Father. You see, if we don't value unity, we jeopardize our unity with God. Paul wrote a lot about this in Christ. When we get into Ephesians, I think we're going to be talking about that in the next couple of weeks, the inness. He uses this, this preposition in 120 times. 120 times in this little six-chapter letter. It's central. Not all the time. It's, sometimes he's just using it as a preposition like we would. But this in Christ language, in him, is key. Here's an example, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Being in meant you have, means you have every, every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So if you're not in Christ, what does that mean? You don't have those? Being in Christ means you're chosen before the foundation of the world. So if you're not in Christ, what does that mean? If we keep reading this in language, it, 
If we're not in Christ, it jeopardizes our salvation. It says we're alienated for God, from God in 2.12, or spiritually dead in chapter 2, verse 1. That's the way, this is our starting point. This is how we're born. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, opens our eyes and, and, and wakes us up to what we need to know about him. This essential truth that's not created by man, but it's created by God to, to communicate what is important, what hills to die on. This is why we must strive for unity as Jesus and the Father are united. Because our unity with each other is connected to our unity to God. And it's not easy in Paul's day or our day. Uh, it, it's not easy in Paul's day. Paul is, is writing to this church in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. It's made up of all kinds of people. All kinds of people. You have Jewish people and Gentile people, non-Jewish people. And they don't get along. You have rich people and poor people. And they don't get along. You have men and women. And they don't get along. There is this segregated, dividing wall of hostility between them. And he says, you know what happens when you're united to Jesus? When you're in Christ, he has broken down that wall. There's no longer a wall for those in the context of the church for those who are in Christ. Now, is he saying that all of a sudden gender doesn't exist anymore? Biology doesn't exist anymore. No, that's not what he's saying. He said there's a unity that happens when you have a common God with a common mission. When you have this common understanding that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are united under that. We're brothers and sisters. We're, we're, we're not like, you know, you're American and you're British and you're, you're uh, uh, you know, Chinese. No, we have a whole new nationality, a citizenship, he says, in heaven. We are united like that. And so when we talk about unity, this is why unity is so critical, because it connects us to our view of who God is. There's a unity in our diversity. It's really important. Uh, let's keep reading. There's another reason why this, this unity of God and the unity of each other is so important. Verse 20 through 21, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. When it comes to unity in the church, our neighbor's, our neighbor's salvation is at stake. We, we will talk about this in the coming weeks. In verse 21, means disunity calls into question. Disunity calls into question what we really are living for. What, what are we really hoping for? What are we really believing about God? Do, we don't want the gospel threatened in New Buffalo and beyond. The unity of God matters. Jesus said that the world is going to know we're Christians by what? By our love. So when we can't love someone who's different from us, what does that say? What does that do? We need to love. The, the gospel's advancement is in peril. And I know it's really hard. When, when you have someone with a strong opinion and they're going to be vocal about it, how do we be gracious and charitable and kind when it's issues of mass and vaccinations and politics? Because we have all kinds of people at our church. 
And I know it's hard when someone's disagreeing. I get that. And it's okay to disagree. It's okay to walk through this. But we are called to join together to worship our God, to sing to Him, to pray to Him, to, to hear the Word preached, to serve together. And, it, and guess what? When we do that, overcoming this barrier that in the, in the world, they're like, there's a natural dividing wall. It's like, we're not going to cross the aisle. When we, when we work well like that together, the world will pay attention. They won't get it. But it makes a huge statement about the power of Christ to overcome our divide, this dividing wall that's really natural. And we're actually better for it. We're better together than apart. I was talking to Pastor Mike about this, and a good illustration of the value of our diversity and unity is marriage. My wife and I, we are vastly different. We look at the world very differently. And I know it's the case in a lot of different marriages. But I am actually better for, for, for being married to her. I'm actually helped by the fact that even her weaknesses, they help soften me and make me a better person. I'm stretched because of her. She sees things differently, and that allows me to see the world differently. It mirrors uh, things that I, I'm not able to see. It takes away, helps me take away my blind spots. So the diversity, there's a, there's a, a value in that, and we are stronger with the different parts of our body uh, than we are apart. So I, the call, I think, from this passage is just let's be, let's be loving, as we mentioned last week. Let's be respectful and charitable and patient. We're not all going to agree on everything all the time. We have differences. We don't want to lose our missional voice to speak the truth of the gospel because we prioritize our perspective, our, our opinions over individual, our individual pers- perspectives. Let's seek to know God as he's known. And then, and then we can make him known in our actions and our words. We have a common mission. We try to put it on paper so that we, we're all on the same page. And there's different ways to say it. But I think this is really well, well written. It's in your bulletin. If you look on the left-hand column, i also throw it up on the overhead here. It says that we're glad you could join us. We will praise God in song and prayer and listen to his word. And here's our mission. Our church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ by spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things. We're here at Converge to make disciples and be discipled ourselves. Me included. The local church is the only institution in the planet, on the planet in history that Jesus calls his bride and gave this mission. Brothers and sisters, let's keep doing what God's called us to do, that we may make God known and know him ourselves. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, you know, when you talked about this in Christness, I, I don't feel that. I'm not there yet. In fact, I don't feel connected to Jesus. I feel lost. I don't feel forgiven. I feel condemned. I don't think I'm saved. So today is uh, on the first of the month we do communion. So if you didn't get them, uh, Tony's back there. You just we're gonna you want to raise your hand. We can get you communion. But communion celebrates and recognizes Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And you could take communion today for the first time. 
or take it meaningfully for the first time, saying, I, I believe Jesus died, this, the bread thing, the, the wafer thing represents his body, and the, 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 the juice represents his blood shed for me, and I want to I believe that for the first time. I want to turn from my, my sin and trust in him. And you could do that. And you can be saved. You can be in Christ. You can be redeemed. You can be uh, forgiven. That's a great thing. Um, tell people about it. That's awesome. And perhaps you're here and you're, you hear this talk about Jesus, this joint mission, this in Christness, and you're not, I'm not there. I don't agree with it. I'm not connected to this. Um, we are glad you're here. And we're not afraid of questions. I think we're actually better, and, and if you're a, a believer, when we engage with people in a spiritual conversation and people are like, I don't, I don't agree with this, I don't buy it. Hey, tell me about that. And just listening to that helps us think through, we don't have to be threatened about it, what do we believe? And so if you're there, if you're saying, you know what, I, I don't quite get it, I'm not quite there yet, I don't, find someone who is here who, you know, or one of your friends who's uh, trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior, who's following Jesus, and share with them your, your questions. We'd love to hear that. I, Mike, Jeff, Pastor Mike, Pastor Jeff, Myself would love to engage with you on a conversation about that. We see this as critical, but we're better engaging in people with people who disagree on this thing because it helps us understand what do we believe. So thanks for being here, uh, friends. What would God have you pursue? He 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 throws out this prayer, and you see this this call for he, he wants us to be one like he is one. How does he want us to respond? Maybe you need to understand God better. Meditate on him. Who is he? Maybe we need to understand what does it mean to be united better, to be in church, to be one in church. Uh, We were given uh, a number of copies of this book that just came out, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. If you want a copy of this, maybe this would be one of your applications. It's a short book, um, and it came with some recommendations pretty good. Maybe you, maybe you want to read a little bit more on the topic of church. We got, these are free. You can, you can grab some of these. I'll have them at the welcome table over there. What does the Holy Spirit, what does he want from you? Let's think about that. Maybe write it down if there's something that the Holy Spirit's calling you to. What does he want from us? Maybe you have a sense, let me encourage you, if you have a sense of what does he want from us, to share that over lunch with whoever you have lunch with. What does he want from us? What does he want from you? Let's listen to the Spirit. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's follow the Spirit. What does it look like to be one as he is one? Hmm. Let's pray as the worship team comes up here. God, thank you so much for your word. Help us to know who you are. Help us to be like your son. Help us to love the person across the aisle who may not see things the way we see it, who has a different personality, who might grate us and rub us the wrong way. May they know we're Christians by our love for each other. We ask for your Holy Spirit to transform us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. More information about Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.